millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, since the economic collapse in particular, we've become accustomed to the concept of white-collar crime, particularly through a series of criminal trials that resulted from the banking collapse in 2008. But white-collar crime and fraud in general are still relatively new concepts in this country. And why wouldn't it be so? Because prior to the 1990s, I suppose, this was a relatively poor country and the opportunities for fraud and such like were pretty limited. Or were they? My guest today is Willie McGee, retired detective superintendent and at one time head of the fraud squad in this country. Willie was involved in tackling some of the most serious fraud cases during his career, which spanned from the 1970s into the early 2000s. He's put his career highlights and lowlights between the covers of a book, Tales from the Fraud Squad, and that is published by Merrion Press. Willie, you're very welcome. Thank you, Michael. Willie, um, I suppose, first of all, we have to get down to brass tacks, and that is your name. You're a man who's known as Four Golds McGee. A man does not get that kind of a name without there being some good story behind it. Yes, in 1967, actually, uh, playing for Mayo Under-21 team, we um, drew with Kerry in the final in Crow Park, and the replay was fixed for Ballinasloe in October 1967. And it was a terrible, bad, murky day, and... Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to score four goals in that game and hence I, I got the uh, the tag of four goal McGee or four goal Willie. <laughs> and more to the point, did you win that day? Yeah, we won quite easy, four nine to seven points, I think. And did you win the final? That was the final, yeah. Oh, that was that the was final. final, yeah. Oh, you won All-Ireland, oh, very good. Right, yeah. Well, we, we won't go into the sorrowful mystery of Mayo football, but uh, that was That's a good right. day anyway out for the county. Willie, you started out in the guards. Um, what brought you to the fraud squad and was it a very... Unusual career move at that stage, or how big was the fraud squad? No, I, I went into it by accident actually because I was interviewed for a, a detective detective job in the Central Detective Unit, which housed the fraud squad, the drug squad, and the serious crime squad. And when that, when when um, transferred to Dublin Castle at the time, I was allocated to the fraud squad. I don't know why, or I never found out since, but I landed there and I started off my career in fraud. And. Did you have any background in uh, accountancy or economics or any of these things? Or, and did you need it? No, not really. Uh, I suppose it was needed. It was, it, was a, it was a help, I suppose. All right, but I had actually... Um, my strongest subject in school was maths, and um, I couldn't do honours leaving uh, cert maths because there was no teacher in the school, in our mixed school in Newport, County Mayo, uh, to teach honours maths and our science. So, therefore... Um, I, I had a good, strong result in, in, in past maths. So maybe that might have helped or somebody somewhere along the line might have spotted it and allocated me to the Frost Squad for that purpose. Right. And what kind of training did you have at that? We'd be talking here in the 1970s. It was, it was no, it was, there was no training attached to it all. You just learned on the job as you, as you went along and learned from, from very good guys who, who were there for many years and who knew every uh, bit of fraud legislation and, and uh, that was uh, available. And was there much in the line of fraud to be investigated. Oh, we we just we just joined the fraud squad in 1975, just at the at the back of the the, the one of the major 
bank strikes. And uh, the, I suppose our first uh, weeks or months in, in, in the job was photocopying uh, checks and, and, and ledgers and um, statements, bank statements of people who were out of pocket because a lot of people went out of business at that time in the, in the 70s as a result of the bank strikes, uh, especially garages. Garages were, were paid for cars by bouncing checks. And um, uh, that was the major crime at that time in the 1970s. The first few years of, of my life in, in the fraud squad was taken up by... Um, investigating check fraud, uh, referred to drawer checks, stolen checks. And the thing at the time was um, checkbooks stolen and a bank card stolen with them. And everybody was warned not to, t- not to leave the bank card and, and checkbook together because it was lethal. Because the, the f- signature was necessary to be proved on the check, that was on the check card. And there's, there's one story in the book of, of a nun who, who uh, and it wasn't a nun really, it was a woman dressed up as a nun. It was in fact a nun's checkbook and check card that was stolen and she hired a, a nun's habit from a theatrical group uh, and uh, went, went uh, plundered around the country uh, dressed up as a nun, cashing nun's checks. And nobody, nobody would question a nun handing over a check in, in, a, in, any, in any shop with, with the verification of the bank card and the checkbook as well, written out, signed out to be a nun. And did she get caught in the end? She did, she got caught in the end. Actually, it was, it, was a, it was an amazing story because um, when in Dublin Airport she went to cash a cheque across the counter and the teller in the, in the bank, I don't know what bank it was in the, in the airport, refused, her to, refused the, uh, to cash the cheque for her and she wasn't very happy and she let out a few expletives which the young fellow was, wasn't happy about. Naturally, there was something wrong. And when, when we interviewed him afterwards, the reason he said that he questioned her cashing the cheque was that she, he felt that she was too good looking to be a nun that's no disrespect to, to, to any, any nun listening but um, that's exactly a fact and when, when he reported it to us and, and with that statement we knew exactly who, who the person was but she took off across the airport running and, and he was running after her and nobody would ever question to a nun running across the airport she probably presumed that she was late for her plane <laughs> and nobody would stop her or stop the man that was behind her trying to catch her but she got away anyway, and actually what she did subsequently was she flew down from from Dublin Airport to Knock Airport and rented a car in the name of the nun who, uh, whose name was on the checkbook. And uh, she she drove to Ballina and she drove to Castlebar. It was in Castlebar she was actually arrested in Castlebar because uh, she was seen coming out of two shops, one jeweller shop. She bought a, a watch for her, for her parish priest and... Um, Amazingly, when, when that jeweller uh, saw her coming out of another shop, he, he questioned them as to what she was doing in the other shop, the jeweller shop, and she was buying a, another watch for her Paris priest. But um, bells rang then, and they reported to the local gather station. I had circulated to all stations in the country about this nun on the run, cashing checks, and uh, um, when it was discovered that she rented a car in Dublin or in Knock Airport, uh, the car was stopped uh, approaching Knock by the Guardian Camaras and again she wasn't very happy when she was stopped and uh, but she subsequently was charged and arrested and arrested and charged with a number of offences uh, related to the checkbook in, in question and um, that time very very seldom people were put away for a long time uh, for cashing checks it was classified as as, as, as minor crime and uh, I think I, I forget in this in this, con- in this situation but I think she got only a suspended sentence for her troubles all over the, the country. 
That's interesting. And another thing that just leaps out at me there, really, uh, when she was caught in Dublin Airport, the, 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 the teller copped on, as you suggest, he said she was too good looking to be a nun. He didn't say, a nun issuing expletives in this manner would have rang bells with him at all, which was oh, another he, he matter knew, again. He, he knew she was the wrong one immediately when he, when, <laughs> when he contacted us and when, when it was reported that this nun's checkbook and check card were being exploited, we knew exactly who the person was because we knew the... We, it was a small minority at the time who were cashing cheques because they used to go around the country with the checkbook and check card. Uh, they were being driven around in supermarkets all over the big the big uh, towns in the, in, the, in the country. This is interesting. So the, 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 that that's a flavour. A couple of areas I'm just curious about. One is corporate crime or anything at that level. We saw an awful lot of that, as I said, after the 2008 economic collapse. Did you come across much of that? For instance, just to give you, as, as far as I understand, certainly until recent years, there's only one ever case of insider trading prosecuting. Did you ever come across anything like that in those no, years? And, and I suppose, in fairness to the detectives that were that spent a lifetime in fraud, we had no uh, expertise in the fraud squad in my early days or my, in, during my time until the end of it where we, we employed accountants and, and, and uh, solicitors, legal people, uh, to look at, at uh, certain crimes. and uh, But during my time, I never came across anything like that, no. Yeah, it's interesting, because I'm sure it was going on, but it, as I said, yeah, was, obviously yeah. within the Gardaí, we weren't properly equipped. The, the, the same notes wasn't given to And that goes back to political will. There was there was no interest in it, I suppose, to some extent in that regard. Sorry, Mike, I always no. wanted to come across this. The, the, at that time, when we, were, when we were fighting fraud in the 70s, 80s and 90s, we were we were uh, working under the, the Larson Act 1916 and the Forgery Act 1913. They were two ancient acts. And actually, if we come across somebody in my time who who had a, a forged passport, we would have to go to the back to the Larson Act of 1863, as far as I can remember, 1863. God, when you think of it, isn't that crazy? It's crazy, mean. yeah. But uh, I, I retired from the guards in 2002, and that's that's the year that the Criminal Justice Theft and Fraud Offences Act came in, which widened the 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 um, the powers of, of the Gardaí to investigate fraud. And uh, yeah, but it, 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 it was very late, you know. Actually, I mean, yeah. when you think about it, was, okay, there wasn't widespread wealth in the country, but there was enough there that some people were certainly. Uh, Definitely involved in, in frauds of various kinds, and and they, they were fairly comfortable in the knowledge that they'd probably get away with it. That is correct. And actually, when I'm quoting those acts, I'm quoting uh, you, the people had to be found committing the act in 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 the in the process of committing the act before you could arrest them. Otherwise, we had no we had no powers of arrest uh, to to uh, detain them or anything on suspicion of having committed a crime. But after the 2002 act, you could um, arrest them. And, it's just showing some here. There's a similar thing there in gambling. I mean, certainly until recently, they were, they were talking about they were operating from an act from the 1930s, and you look at the way gambling has yes, changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's crazy. Uh, the other area I'm just curious about, Willie, at that time, as we know, for instance, the troubles in the north were on, there was serious uh, activity by the provisional IRA. And one key element to their operation, it had to be, was raising funds. Did you ever come across anything in relation to paramilitaries involved in any kind of fraud or scam? Well, I, I don't know what year it was, but I took over the anti-racketeering unit, the first anti-racketeering unit that was set up in the country to comply with the European regulations. And actually, Ireland were the last country in Europe to to comply with that regulation. And uh, we came across a, an organised uh, video piracy uh, operation, which which was uh, spread from the north to the to the south. And... Uh, 
our friends in that, in that group were, were involved in it, and that's the first time that we, I became involved. With really, the, and, and like that. in that instance, did you did, were you able to charge anybody in the end? I actually actually did. I think yeah, in the end, I'm not I'm not 100 sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I wasn't. I wasn't actually. I started the the operation. It was finished by somebody else. But right. I think it was and which, But that's interesting. Video piracy. So Video that, piracy, that's the kind yeah, of thing. On a large scale. Yeah. On a large scale, and that's the kind of thing that would have made money. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, there's one very interesting case in the book, and that's, we're back to uh, bank drafts and that, but in a pretty sophisticated way. And this involves, I, th- I think the branch was in, uh, Tagman was in County Wexford. That's correct indeed, yeah. Tell us what happened there. Actually, it started where there was um original bank drafts stolen from the printing works in, in Smurfit and Bray. And uh, a few different operators decided to pull a scam whereby um, five different fellows were dedicated to attend five different banks in Dublin at a particular time within a half an hour. Can I just stop you? Syria, as you said, that was a kind of a breakaway Republican paramilitary outfit. Uh, that That's correct. And one, yeah. one of the one of the fellows who we knew was a Syria man was involved in, in, in that operation. Actually, right. masterminded it. And so there was, there was, sorry, did you say there was five of them in different... Five. This, this person set up uh, five, five different people to, to operate the scam for him. And that meant that they went into a particular bank in Dublin at a particular time on one particular day. And the, this, this guy had, had the, phones, the phone of the Bank of Ireland diverted to a shed where he operated or he attended and answered the calls. And by, by being diverted, I mean... The Bank of Ireland got a call from allegedly Telecom Airden that there was trouble with the bank uh, telephone lines and there might be disruption for a while on a particular day. That was the time that the the, the wires or the telephone was was transferred to the to the shed. And uh, at that particular time, within uh, within a half hour, these five guys on, on time they landed into the banks in in Dublin, and. Um, our, our man, our Sierra man that I said who operated, he was able to answer the, the call. When the banks in question in Dublin rang, the Bank of Ireland tagman, the person in the shed, answered the call. And when the alleged bank um, told him that there was somebody there with a particular draft, yeah. and he was able to describe that person to a T because he, he was his friend, yeah. and uh, to okay the bank in, in Dublin that the, it was okay to cash the bank draft. That was the time when bank drafts were cashed across the counter 
you know, for business in Dublin, somebody coming from Wexford or any part of the country to cash a draft, they got their cash and walked out the bank with their cash. And they pulled it off? They pulled it off. The five of them were perfect. They pulled it off perfectly. And where, where we got involved really was one of them in the Bank of Ireland in James Street in Dublin. Um, there was a problem. The fellow who did it uh, decided to tell his boss, the theory man, that the bank in, in James Street wouldn't give him the 5,000, only give him 3,000 because uh, they felt that it wasn't right, that, that he had enough proof of identity. Yeah. And um, he, the, the man who pulled the stroke in, in James Street thought he had conned the con man, the main man. He thought he got the other two grand. He, the main man knew that, that the bank wouldn't do that, that the bank probably, probably did cash the cheque for him or the draft for him. So therefore, what he did was he rang, he rang the bank and, and said the bank that told the bank that he was from the fraud squad. Uh, he was just checking on the amount of, of money that was uh, handed over as a result of the bank draft in James Street. And the bank in James Street told him the full full 5,000. But um, he knew then that this man tried to con him. Yeah. And with that then, he, he, he rang us in the fraud squad. Actually, I answered the phone and I knew that he, his voice was muffled and, and uh, he, he told us that where the, the culprit from the James Street Bank uh, lived in, in Fitzwilliam in town, in a posh part of town. And uh, we got a search warrant in and we went to that, we went to that uh, particular uh, flat and uh, searched it. And we arrested, we arrested the, the guy in the flat and uh, took him to Harcourt's. And he told us exactly who was the main operator uh, of the scam. And we knew that was Mr. Sierra down, down in Wexford. And um, we charged him and convicted him in, ta- in, in, in court, but we didn't disclose anything and he didn't disclose anything. Neither did his defence counsel disclose anything about who was involved or who was the organiser, the mastermind of the whole lot. And was it not very stupid of, of, of Mr. Serriera to shop your man, even though he can't him because it was inevitably going to lead back to himself? Well, he knew, he knew and, and the man who, who, who he shopped was afraid of his life. He named him a right to us, and, yeah. uh, but he wouldn't put it on paper. Oh, he wouldn't sign yeah, any yeah, statement. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't admit it or he wouldn't admit it in court either because he was afraid of it because he knew he knew that uh, the consequence would be if, if he did. And, and and did both of them end up getting him a jail sentence? No, the the, the man, the, the man the, who, who orchestrated the... the Serrera man? The, no, the other, the other man the, Sorry. who actually conducted the, the or cashed the cheque, as Raph. Oh, yeah. He was fined in court. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get a custodial sentence or not. No, no. The, that time, the courts weren't handed out custodial sentences, really, to, to fraudsters. The, the, they were classified well, as... That's interesting, classified. isn't it? I mean, and, and, and the whole thing. It's also... It was, it was pretty sophisticated it for its time. sophisticated when it's all said and done, yeah. Uh, to, to carry it out to perfection because uh, the timing had to be perfect with the... With the the banks in in Dublin and the descriptions of the guys who were in the banks yeah. to to the bank manager. And you'd wonder that if it hadn't happened that way, or one fellow was trying to scam his own boss, would the banks have kept quiet about it rather than the embarrassment of it having been done? Well, no. Actually, what happened was then that the bank the bank drafts in question were forged bank drafts because the, the details of them weren't correct, and they they all came back to the Bank of Ireland in Taiwan and Wexford to be cleared, and that's when the bank. Uh, they decided, that there was right. something wrong, and then they twigged the the disruption in the telephone lines on the particular day that these drafts right. were cashed, and and hence the reports were straight away, and and they all they all fell in together and like a jigsaw to us, and we knew where we were going, but we never arrested or never knew who who the other four guys were. And did you and recover much of the money? No, 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 no money was recovered whatsoever. No money was no. recovered. Jesus, for its time, like uh, for what was here, I mean, it was it was fairly. Um, 
and and Sarah era, they were pretty, they were a vicious outfit, but they weren't exactly known to be the sharpest tools in the shed. But they obviously right, were in yeah, that yeah. instance. Yeah, but this guy, this guy in particular, orchestrated many crimes in his time, and and uh, was never caught. Really? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And uh, did you come across him in other instances in the France? We did yeah, we we um, the, there was a threat to spread the foot of mouth disease unless a, a, um, a ransom of five million. Uh, pound was paid at the time in 1979 and he was the man that, that we suspected was, was the mastermind of that. And that how did that develop? That, that, that developed into a ball of smoke but it was a long operation it took over eight months to uh, conduct and uh, <clears throat> nothing happened in the end but um, it was it was again it was a well organised one and, and a well prepared one where letters were sent and to who, the And who, who did they issue the ransom to? No, no, nobody, no, no ransom paid over. It was a threat to spread foot to mouth unless yeah. a ransom was paid, and it it, um, it involved uh, a lot of letters and and uh, threats that to be paid and and uh, for the money to be brought around uh, in a particular way um, on a particular day, right, um, around the country in in a car, and this would be observed and and, and uh, tabs being kept on. It was a, it was a, a complicated operation. And um, <clears throat> it, it it necessitated putting ads in the in the classified section of the Irish Times on on particular days to comply with the orders from the from the these guys these, yeah. these extortionists. And uh, but it ended up in a ball of smoke in the end. But it was it was, it was a complicated operation from from day one. Yeah, and a lot of things going on below the radar because people, as you say, people wouldn't have been noticing much of it. But uh, it's, it's an interesting insight. insight <laughs> I, I put I put ads in the classified section of the Irish Times on, on particular days, and nobody ever would would cop it. Like Tom Smith has read your message and and has agreed to your proposals. That that was proposals that that, that were orchestrated in the letters that, that that were sent. And sorry, were they sent to the government or to the department? No, they were sent to the Department of Agriculture. Department. I picked up those letters from the Department of Agriculture and we complied. It was us that complied or not the Department of Agriculture in... in but but they obviously didn't think that you were involved, did they? No, they didn't know. And and we were we were very cagey on whether we, we it should be known that we were involved in case that spread foot of mouth disease was spread. Because we knew the consequences of of foot of mouth if it was spread. Yeah, 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 and but in the end, it, it it evaporated. It evaporated in the end, yeah. Now another one you were involved in, and this I think people would find very interesting, and that was the criminal investigation into aspects of Charlie Hawhey's finances, and these arose initially in the McCracken Tribunal, and I think a, a file was referred or it was referred to the Gardaí. That's that's correct. We 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 asked we were asked to investigate the. the Possibility that Charlie High had obstructed the McCracken Tribunal, and in in that process we we had to interview Charlie, and we interviewed him out in his house in Clinsealy, in in the presence of four legal people, and um, Charlie Charlie was very sorry. Can I just check? You're saying he he had four legal representatives, and and how many guards were there? Well, two guards. Two guards. My, myself so and Detective Superintendent Pat Brandy. But I, I was to take the lead in it because I, I actually applied for summonses on, on the direction of the public director of public prosecution. I applied to the court for summonses for uh, charging him with the obstruction of the tribunal, and uh, those summonses were served on Charlie subsequently. But uh, when when we when we um, interviewed him in the house, he was very courteous and, uh, to us and very respectful, and actually supplied us with coffee. And Charlie poured out coffee himself from his own, his lovely silver pot in, into lovely china mugs for us. And um, did he did he answer your questions? Though he, he did indeed, yeah. And he signed the document, which was necessary for us to prove that that 
it was Charlie's signature that was on the letters of denial that he had. This was a kind of a ruse, I think, that was in, in the McCracken Tribunal and, and um, he, he was laying blame and, and then his solicitor, Noel Smith, in order to protect himself perfectly, legitimately, self-addressed uh, an envelope, I think, to himself to show that he hadn't been involved or something yeah, when I, Charlie was, was done for... Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that, no, Michael. I, I wasn't involved yeah. in that at all. We, that never crossed our paths at all. It was just the fact that Charlie sent in letters signed by him and we had to prove his signature. Uh, on, on That was his right. signature on the letters. And when he signed the statement to us, that signature was compared by the, our, our handwriting expert to, to be the signature of Charlie, who, who denied any, any, any uh, receipt of money right. from Ben Dunn. Right, and so and and he he confirmed to to you that uh, that was his signature, and that really was was the well, nuts that, and bolts of all. That was the that was what the director of public prosecutions needed really to to um, instruct us to take out a prosecution against him. And I duly um, applied for summonses down in the in the court's office and uh, got the summonses and had them served on Charlie. And out of curiosity, during that interview, you said like there was four legal, presumed legal big guns. That's correct, yeah. Did any of them intervene during the interview? No, not really, no. They were very courteous as well. And we, there was, it was a very respectful interview without any problem at all in, in this house in Kinsale. God, it's an interesting insight. And, and um, for its time, it wouldn't be so much now, but for its time, talk about... Uh, People at Charlie Hawhey's status would have been regarded as untouchable at that time. That, that, that's, I suppose that's correct. That could be assumed, yeah, exactly. But uh, they, were, they were very courteous. There was no problem whatsoever. Yeah. They met us there by by appointment and uh, sat down with us and, and we discussed it amicably without any problem. And then, uh, am I correct that this is the one whereby ultimately he didn't go to court on the basis that um, I think Mary Harney made some public comments that the judge felt had interfered with the capacity for a fair trial? Oh, actually, he didn't go to court because he answered the summonses and, and, and attended court on, on the instruction of the summonses on, on the particular date. But yeah. in, in, in the taking of depositions in, in, in the process, Judge Haw decided, because Mary Harney made a statement, it was, it was put up by his defence that, that yeah. uh, the statement would, would, would not... Uh, statement would, would, would have interfered with the capacity for a fair trial, Correct, indeed, yeah. yeah. Correct, yeah. And the judge, Judge Haw, accepted that. And that would have been in the circuit court, which would have, would have been a serious issue if it went to. Uh, yeah, but to it, was, it was in the district court. That was that was initially. Uh, yeah, initially, like, it never went to circuit court. Right. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's an interesting insight, all right, into um, him there. One other story you mention in here, uh, I just think there's a <laughs> there's a bit of humour to it, and that's um, in terms of a bank draft that was made out to the amount of fifty six point five million dollars. That, that's correct, yeah. Our Nigerian friends. Um, they're on the run in the process of um, appearing in the Bank of Ireland in College Green, and in the process, we knew we knew where they were going because we were in touch with one of the the witnesses from America. And um, this no, hold on, sorry. This this is a, a, a group of people from Nigeria who are involved in a scam. That's correct, indeed. And and what was the origins of it? Or? The origins was then uh, we we all know our. Aware of of, Niger- of Nigerian scams, and uh, th- this was a place where um, two people, in fact, one from um, America and one from Germany, had scanned out a lot of money, and uh, they were promised that the, the money would be recovered for them through this company in Ireland, and it was the Nigerians who set up the company in Ireland as well, and uh, they employed a few English people, friends of theirs, to to uh, attend and to, to look genuine and they were on the way from a meeting where they discussed that they would lodge this 56.9 million 
um, draft in the Bank of Ireland so that they would be able to recoup some money and send them back to to to, um, to America and, and Germany. But in the past, we, we were aware of their movements and uh, we, we had surveillance on them. And in, in College Green, my Detective Sergeant Roland Galligan decided to stop the main man who had the draft in his possession. And he, we were aware of that. And uh, when Ronan asked him for the draft, he, he, he pulled out his envelope. And uh, instead of handing it to Detective Sergeant, he put it in his own mouth and swallowed it, started chewing it. And he was he was brought to, he was arrested then on the spot. Actually, the two of them started resting around the College Green on, on a very wet day. <laughs> and uh, I didn't worry about the Nigerian man's suit, but I had to replace Ronan Galligan's suit all right for him. In the, in the process. They, were, they were wrestling? They were wrestling in, on the ground in the college green on, right. a, on a wet, murky day, yeah. Right, right, right. But uh, he, sw- he swallowed a draft for $56 million. That's correct, yeah. Uh, dollars. Of course, it, 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 was, um, it was a fraudulent one anyway. Um, as we, Over the course of your career, during that period, again, Willie, I mean, you, you would have interacted somewhat with foreign uh, equivalent uh, fraud squads in the likes of the US and the UK, I'm presuming. That's correct, yeah. Were they far more advanced in their techniques, resources, etc., than we would have been at that time? Oh, not really, no, but there was, there was a dedicated unit in, in um, Scotland Yard investigating Nigerian scams, and there was a, a very strong uh, Secret Service unit as well in America uh, investigating them as well. I'm, I'm, I'm more in broad context, though, the whole concept of um, fraud, fraud and white-collar crime, like, were they more advanced in tracking it in those countries during those days than we would have been here? Well, I, I believe they were. I, 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 I couldn't answer that genuinely because I, I just understand or assume that they were more advanced than we were. But we, 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 we traded in the same, with the same techniques and the same um, information. Yeah, yeah. You left uh, the garrison in the early 2000s. You retired. And That's correct. You went into the insurance industry. That's right, and I yeah. think you were one of the early people involved in detecting fraud in the insurance industry. Yeah, and, and at that time in 2002, we were after, actually, the, the, our unit, the, the fraud unit, they gather, it's not the Economic Crime Unit, the yes. Gather Bureau of Fraud Investigation. Yes. Um, we were involved in a, in a fairly elaborate uh, insurance investigation throughout the Midlands, based in Longford. And uh, that, that um, I suppose, um, triggered something in, in the insurance industry that something should be done about it. And actually, insurance... Um, they had taken over from from the PMPA. The CEO um, conducted a survey of, of people, and from from the results of that survey, he said that it would be necessary or should be advised to set up a special investigation unit. So, in 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 uh, September two thousand and two, Axe Insurance set up the first special investigation unit in insurance business in in Ireland, and I was involved in that. I, I took over the the role of fraud investigation manager in that in that unit and. Uh, we were successful in, in, in identifying um, a lot of fraudulent scams in the insurance business uh, through a red flag system that we set up. And uh, we became known quite widely in the insurance industry. That, that, uh, what would have been a typical scam in the fraud industry, particularly in those days? Well, I suppose like um, report, uh, whiplash injuries yeah. was, was, was the main thing. And we, we, we set about um, examining any, any suspect one where... where uh, if there was anything like a red flag, we we had we had certain uh, certain uh, situations identified as red flags, and if so, there were so many red flags identified, we would look in look in more deeply into their circumstances. Right. Tell me, and just looking back at your career, really, um, 
you obviously from afar you would have observed all these um, criminal trials that emerged from the banking crisis and some of them very complicated and a lot of them involving serious, serious work on the part of what's known as the, the, the Garda um, Economic, Economic Crime, Crime Bureau. Yeah. Bureau. Uh, do you ever wonder, do you ever feel like to, it would have been good to be involved in those type of complex cases or would they be a pain in the neck? Well, they're far more complex now than they were. And it's funny you say that, Michael, because we I started off in the, in the fraud squad. We were known as the fraud squad all over the world. Yeah. And uh, then we became the Garda, the Garda Bureau of Fraud Investigation. And that graduated into the Garda Economic Crime Bureau now, which, which would be consistent with a lot of economic crime bureaus around the world. But still, in, in within the Garda... The, the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau are known as the Fraud Squad. Yeah, and we yeah. were known, when the Garda Bureau of Fraud Investigation, which was a, a fairly jazzy name, but we were known as the Fraud Squad as well. So the Fraud Squad is the Fraud Squad all the time, and they're still the Fraud Squad. So They're still the Fraud, still squad, the fraud squad. And you, you, you were one of the pioneers there yourself. Yeah, it's been long <laughs> enough, in it? Very, Willie, Willie McGee, listen, thanks very much for joining us today and sharing that with us. And Willie's book, Tales from the Fraud Squad, as published by Merriam Press. Willie, thanks very much for talking to us today. And Michael, could I just get one last word in, yeah. please, if you don't mind? Um, the I suffered a stroke uh, seven years ago, a pretty serious stroke, which I've recovered from pretty well now to, to finish off writing a book. And by that, I mean that, that uh, I'm donating all the proceeds of the book, uh, the, the royalties of the book, to the Irish Heart Foundation. As oh, very good. The work, that, the, the work that the Irish Heart Foundation do. All the royalties from the book of the Irish Heart Foundation. Foundation, yes. Great stuff. Willie, thanks very much for that. Thanks, Michael. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you, folks, for listening. We're going to see you again next week. Stay in by the wall in the meantime. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.